0: Colossians chapter 3 tonight. Colossians chapter number 3. Tonight we're going to continue on with the Sunday evening series that we began a few weeks back and we titled the series Does It Really Matter? And I suspect it's a it's a fitting title for a lot of different topics that we could take on and ask the important question, is this something that really should matter? Now now. We're going to connect that question to, I suppose, the, the place where it needs to be connected because some things, they, they don't matter in the same degree. But if something matters to God regarding an important topic, then, then I suspect it should matter to people like you and me. The, the passage we're going to use as our springboard tonight in Colossians is going to frame a topic that is for many people quite controversial. So our topic tonight is going to carry with it some potential for controversy. And in fact, there's a few topics that we will include in this series that I think are, are rather, um, I don't know, we, we approach them carefully. And I'm, I'm gonna tell you tonight the topic that we're gonna cover, we're gonna try to you know, approach it carefully, biblically in a principled fashion, but I'm also going to say with a a measure of transparency that I hope is appropriate that this is not an area that I am particularly gifted regarding. Not not that I could lift you the the areas where I am particularly gifted, but but this is not one of those areas where I feel like, you know, I, I have such training and history and education that I am a suitable candidate to cover this topic. I think I'm a suitable candidate to cover the topic because God does cover it. He addresses these matters and so because he does, I believe that that pastors should. But I'm also aware that there is a lot to this topic of which I am simply not aware. So I'm going to be careful about how I cover this and understand that there will be thoughts there will be conclusions that may not be my own. Where the Bible speaks plainly about something, we settle the matter because the Bible has spoken. Where the Bible gives us principles and insights and helps, then we take those and we apply them in a principled fashion. And I think what we're going to approach tonight is one of those topics that we approach in a principled fashion. God addresses this. He, he settles some matters regarding this issue, but others are left for us to use Holy Spirit guidance, use Bible principles, and then to shower this topic with a graciousness that is befitting the saints. Remember the theme verse that we've used for this whole series is Philippians 1 9. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. This is a fitting use of that passage of scripture for the topic that we're going to apply tonight. That your love may abound more and more. And then it's not just love that is is this ethereal, you know, cosmic love. He says, no, connect your love to knowledge, know some things, and judgment, discerning, separating things. So may this be a topic that we just shower with love, seek Bible knowledge, and use good discernment, good judgment. Does it really matter? The topic that we're going to address tonight is the topic of music or what I listen to. Does it really matter? There's a man named Chris Anderson. He wrote songs like His Robes for Mine and My Jesus Fair. He said in a book that he is about to publish, it is is, um, not released yet, but Chris Anderson said, the songs we sing shape us. It's important then that you carefully choose the songs that will make up the soundtrack of your Christian life. You're already choosing your life's songs, just maybe not as intentionally as you should. So does it matter, music? You know, sometimes we just come to these conclusions like you like it and I don't, you know, so what? Or I don't like it, and therefore you shouldn't like it. And we start to come to these conclusions that are based on what it is that we like or we don't like. Maybe what we should do is just back up a little bit and set our immediate preferences momentarily to the side. Now don't throw them out, because our preferences do and should inform our music. But not exclusively, and and maybe not primarily so when we start to think about, you know, does this really matter? Well, does the Bible speak about it? There are some estimates that say that the Bible addresses music, musical instruments, some connection to music nearly 1,200 times. So that's a lot of connections to music. Uh, but there are other, you know, things that the Bible touches, like it talks about plants over a thousand times. So are plants and music all the same, because the Bible talks about it a lot. Well, I guess what we should do is say, okay, the Bible talks about something a lot, but what does it have to say about the thing that it is addressing over and over and over again? Your Bibles are open right now to Colossians chapter 3, verse number 16. Notice what the passage says here before us. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Now pause right there for just a moment. This is a statement that you could use quite broadly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That is, let the words of Christ, his teaching, his thinking, his directing, let it be at home in you. The thoughts of Christ, the one who is to rule, as we mentioned this morning, from the throne of our heart, let the word of Christ be at home in you. Have you ever been someplace in someone else's home and quite honestly, it was just awkward? You felt awkward or ill at ease. From the moment you stepped in, there was some kind of tension that was in the place. And so you just were constantly on edge. You you looked forward to the time when you were no longer in that place because there was something that was just not right. You didn't feel at home. But haven't you also been someplace before? And, and it was as if you'd known those. They might be new people, new friends. This is, this is a new setting. But as soon as you walked in, you felt immediately at home. There was no tension. There, there was no awkwardness. It was just this ease with which you settled in. Do you know, this is the idea that the Bible is giving us with the word of Christ. There should be no awkwardness, no no ongoing tension regarding what we're trying to do and the word of Christ that are supposed to dwell in us richly. Like, oh man, the word of Christ is at home in me. And then the passage goes on and it helps us understand what's that look like what are some examples of the word of Christ dwelling in us richly well it goes on and it says teaching so this is instructive and admonishing this is corrective one another in how do we do this psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord now we have this this more clearly refined understanding of what place is music supposed to have in the heart and life of those who claim the name of Christ so when we when we tackle this topic where do where do we really begin and I suspect that it'd be a good place for us to begin by examining albeit briefly what does the Bible have to say about music So the first mention of musical instruments in Scripture, Genesis 4.21, and his brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all such as handle the harp and the organ. So the harp, that's probably some kind of a stringed instrument, and then the organ. Now remember, this is back in the book of Genesis. When we're talking about the organ, we're not talking about the instrument that is to my left, okay? But we are probably talking about, in fact, maybe you've seen people do this. I've, I've I know a guy that loves the organ, okay? He loves the organ. He builds them. He, he plays them. He knows them. He was demonstrating, teaching some things about the organ, and he took the organ parts. Do you know the parts that actually, if you have a, a pipe, a true pipe organ, he would take those pipes, and then he would blow into the pipe, and it would, it would obviously make a sound that corresponded with the appropriate note. Well, the, 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 the organ that it's talking about here is probably some kind of a wind instrument, something that you would blow into it. it sometimes it's translated as a flute that, that would be used in the same understanding. So he says, hey, this guy was connected with music. Well, it doesn't define the music for us. It just says that, hey, he, he was connected with stringed instruments. So he played on them uh, with, with wind instruments. He blew into them. This guy made music. So we understand that there is something that is broadly defined. He doesn't say, he and he played in the church, or he doesn't say anything like that. He just connects this man with music. Well, we go on and, and we get some further understanding of like, wow, this is, there's, there's some corporate understanding of music, like people participated, lots of people got involved. We see that throughout scripture, but, but if we're looking early on to get some indication, what does the Bible say? Exodus chapter 15. In fact, if you want to look at this, it's quite an interesting passage, Exodus 15. Remember, um, in Exodus, they're exiting Egypt and, and God delivers them from Pharaoh's, you know, pursuit. And then they have a grand celebration. I mean, this is is a great celebratory time for the Hebrew people because, because, um, you know, Pharaoh and the horse and chariot have been dealt with severely. Okay, look at what it says at the very beginning. Exodus chapter 15, verse number one. Then sang Moses. Okay, now we're putting words to music, okay? Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him in habitation. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. And the the, the chapter just goes on, and it tells us that, that Moses sang this powerful song of victory and triumph. And then we get to the end of the passage and notice what it says here. Verse number 20. Look at what the Bible has to say. And I'm, I'm saying these are the kind of things that sometimes make us a little uncomfortable. But this is connected with music and with song. And Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a timbrel in her hand. And all the women went out, went out after her with timbrels and with, there it is, with dances And Miriam answered them, sing ye to the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously, the horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. So Miriam leads this, again, this ongoing celebration. So they take timbrels. Again, this would be something that they'd have in their hands, we would presume. And this is easy for them to continue to make music with. And now they're going out with timbrels and with, with dances. Now I think this is an interesting, albeit I'm reading into this somewhat, but but you have to have something to dance to, right? I mean you should have something to dance to. If she's gonna dance, I would I would illustrate, but but I've become wise in my old age, okay? So so Dr. Zach. <laughs> well, he stood up. That was the wrong move, okay? So in fact I really don't want to see him dance okay so so Miriam goes out and she leads the women and they're playing music and music speaks to us it's it's telling us something and 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 they danced this is not the exclusive the isolated place that the bible mentions this you know David David um and Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, music again is mentioned, uh, 1 Samuel 8, 18 verses 6 and 7, and it came to pass as they came when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine that the women came out of the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy, with instruments of music. All the women answered one to another as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Okay, so th- this music is not on dancing, but it is interesting this message is not on dancing, but it is interesting that that music tells us to do something. It tells us um, this this morning. Andy sang, and and Kyle, Kyle is comfortable doing this, but Andy Cole, when he's singing this morning, it's very. He's singing about rest, and as he sings about rest, he 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 moves his hands in in such a way that communicates something. It's it's as if you know, I have to do this, and Kyle, Kyle's very expressive, and Kyle, his hands move, and, and he's, he's expressing something physically by music that he is singing. Okay, so, so music, it, it's a language, even just music. How many of you have ever watched a little kid in a restaurant start to do what the music is telling him to do? How many of you ever watched that, you know? So you watch this little kid and music's playing in the restaurant and all of a sudden this little kid, nobody said, okay, here's what you do when music starts to play. But this little kid, he starts busting a move, okay, because he's, he's doing something all of a sudden because the music is telling him, it's, it's, it's encouraging some kind of response, Okay, this, again, this is not a, a message on dance, so we're not here to focus exclusively on this, other than the fact that it's sending us a message. And then let me also be careful to say, because sometimes we're quick to say, you know, David danced before the Lord. He, he does, the Bible says in, in 2 Samuel 6, 14, and David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was girded with the linen ephod. Now, I don't know this, so this is an assumption, I just can't recall it. So I'm telling you up front, you may know this and someone will send it to me an email, but I can't think of times when the Bible demonstrates or talks about men and women interacting in dance. And then I don't think that there's anything, um, forgive the bluntness, but erotic or sexually driven regarding the dance. And today, so much of, of our dance today is simply this it's simply a response to what music is telling us to do so the music tells us to do this it supports what it is that we're doing Uh, David's dance before the Lord you know if we if we study historically this is this is what um, you know we're told their dance would be like that David's dance would have been very similar You've, you've probably heard this before but David twirls in a circle makes a big circle and then he as he does he he has his arms low and as he spins he throws his arms up to to heaven and it's as if he's saying Lord all the glory I take all the glory the praise the honor and I I bring it all up to you and what David is doing with all his might he's like a child lost in the moment he is saying the the in the music was supporting the action so it's not, it's not a physical response to something that, that is simply doing what the music's telling you to do. It's not a, 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 an erotic response. It's not a, a physical, sensual, sexual response. It's just a, well, this is consistent, praise belongs to you. I'm saying all of that in an, somewhat of an introductory fashion to say that music is this message, just the music itself. So so back to music, Zephaniah chapter three, verse 17. Listen to what the Bible says. We're we're trying to investigate, okay, does it really matter? Well, let's see what does God think about this or how does God use this? Zephaniah chapter three, verse 17, the Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. To that we say amen. He will save, yes, he does. He will rejoice over thee with joy he will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. That is a beautiful verse. The Lord our God, God Almighty, he rests in his own love. He is this one who who takes pleasure in us. And then there is this powerful picture that we have now. Not just a picture, this powerful understanding of what is it that God does. God Almighty joys over you, joys over us, and He does so with singing. It's as if the heart of God is so full that it overflows with song. You and I know that, that we are created in the image of God and the image of God created he, him, male and female created he them. We're, we're, we have the, the image of God, that's how we're created. Okay, so what does that mean? It means that in so many ways we reflect our father. You know, I mean, your mom looks at you and says, you're just like your father. Well, you know, mankind, we're we're so much like our father. And so what is it that we naturally do? Mankind sings. Why? You could make a strong case because your father does. So does music matter? Short answer is yes, absolutely. So where where do we go with this then? What are some things that we should understand about music? Well, first of all, as we've said, number one, music communicates. Music communicates. Now, I'm going to separate this. Now, we we won't do this the whole message, but for just a moment, just separate the music from the song. Okay, the song is going to be music or, or a poem, so to speak, set to music. That's the song. But music itself, it doesn't have to have words to communicate. Do you agree with that? Music doesn't have to have words to communicate, right? How many of you have, ever, how many of you have certain kinds of music that you listen to when you want to feel a certain way? Okay. How many of you have been, been angry before and you wanted to be more angry? You wanted to be upset. You are bothered about something. And you, have you ever gotten in your car because you're mad and you get in your car and you know I am and you t- you turn on you know hey Siri play I hate the world or whatever you know <laughs> and so because you're upset and so you want to actually enhance the, the the feeling okay and you could use that for all kinds of things um lots of stuff um, how many of you how many of you I know this would vary and, and what we listen to would vary with this, but how many of you listen to music to study? How many of you do that? Oh, lots of you. Um, how many of you can't listen to music and study? You can't. Okay, a few of you. I, I listen, I like to listen to music when I study, but I, I like to listen to really, you know, just nothing too engaging. I want it to be like the old kind of piano music you would have heard at the dentist office okay (laughs) calming you know and really sedate and you know kind of drift you out I want to listen to something really really simple Um, it's just this 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 background to calm me to slightly distract me so that I'm not listening to other things and then I can just focus on we talk about love songs or romantic music All of that is to say that music, just music, music communicates. A guy named Jeremy Begbie said, it is not enough to say that music is an expression of identity. It is part of the way identity is formed. In short, we do not simply make music. To some extent, music makes us. So music communicates. And music then is actually, in some way, shape, or form, it is, it is at least informing our identity. In other words, there is music that we're listening to, that we're consuming, and there is something of us that is being instructed by the message itself of music. You, you and I are not much different from that kid in the restaurant. He's, he's doing... in very visible ways what music is instructing him to do and because music has the ability to communicate we have to understand that it has the potential to be powerful don't raise your hand but but how many of you have ever wept in response to music and, and many in here have wept in response to music minus words just the music it kind of rings a bell, doesn't it? <sighs> okay, so back to music. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Okay. So music's powerful. We 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 find ourselves t- taken places. I was thinking I was thinking about Moments that we have more recently shared and understood the power of music. So a couple years ago, at uh, we just finished Bible conference at Pensacola Christian College Campus Church. We, we enjoyed the opportunity to to participate and just soak in. And it was, I think, it wasn't last year. I think it was the year before. But wow, it was powerful. I mean... Tears filled my eyes. You know, the, the, the group, the choral group, they stood and sang, Behold our God, seated on his throne, come let us adore him. And I can remember Shane Lewis, you know, what, what, what do you say after that? And then, and then I think we concluded the service with it man, who, who, if you were here for that service, I mean, did it move you? The power of music. I, for me, this, this was another one of those powerful music moments it was at our, our last missions conference and we sang, is he worthy? The song asks the question and then it answers it. And when they get to the part where they say, He is. and chills down your spine. I mean, tears in your eyes because music has just communicated something and the the words and the song come together to form something that speaks to us deeply. These are just a few examples of powerful musical moments. Music has the power to lift us in praise to God. But just as it has the power to lift us in worship, it also has the power to bring us to the depths of what we might refer to as human worthlessness. Music can elevate us and music can also, in a sense, bring us very low. So then we we again, we have to go back to the question and say, what is it that the music, the music is actually instructing us to do? Well, music communicates, but let's go a little bit further. Because music communicates, this also means that music is moral. Music is moral. Now, I, I believe that, and I know there are a lot of good people that don't, but, but I, I'm going to hold to that, okay? If you disagree with me on it, then, then let's, be, let's be kind about our disagreement. But let me share with you why I think that it is moral, it's like the alphabet. In other words, music has its own, its own set of, of means by which it communicates, right? So, so I'll come again, I'm not a musician, but. The individual notes on a keyboard are such that by themselves, they're amoral. They're not saying anything, okay? So, okay, that's middle C. Is that a song? No, it's not, it's just a letter, it's a note, okay? It's a note in a song. Now we have, we have a chord, okay? Now, do we have a song? Not yet, but now we could build a song. Do you wanna hear a song? Okay, Mm. Okay, they always do, I don't know why they do that, but. Okay. That was a bad one. That's still really bad. It's my second grade piano recital called The Calico Cat. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, This one, let's see here. Aha, uh-huh. that's oh, when the saints go marching in. Pretty impressive, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> apparently not. Okay, so, so those are songs. Okay, they, they didn't communicate very much, but they have the power to. Okay, nobody does this. Okay, nobody does this. Nobody, nobody does this. Nobody says, um, You played middle C. I'm telling. Okay, nobody does that because it's just that. Okay, um, a letter in the alphabet, a letter by itself. I know there are a couple vowels that could be a, a word by themselves, but letters in the alphabet, a single letter. It's not really communicating something, so there's no morality, but can I arrange letters in such a way that would be highly offensive? If the Bible says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer, then what he's saying is, hey, there are things that are unacceptable for you to say. You should never say that. So I understand that I can arrange letters in such a way that form words and those words contain something that's moral. Now, if music can speak to me, if music then becomes a language, it's also interesting that music has the ability to communicate morality. Now, there are some that say that, that music um, speaks to the culture that created it. And I understand that. So, so this culture, okay, this part of society is, is the part that created that music. And so it speaks to them and maybe not to someone else. I get that. It, it doesn't mean that it's a blanket approval that, well, that speaks to me, so it's okay. It just means that there may be some musical forms that you or I may not fully appreciate, but the, 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 the culture, the place, the setting that forms that music, like I don't really get into Gregorian chant, okay, but apparently there were people who did because there was a culture a society a people that continued to produce this music and it spoke to them So so music I believe is moral Ephesians chapter 5, we we use this often, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When music violates the potential for my heart, so please don't miss this, when music violates the potential for my heart to be right with the Lord. It has had a negative moral impact on that, which is to be the primary focus of my life. So, okay, I'm, 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 I'm supposed to speak to myself, psalms, hymns, spiritual, singing, making melody in my heart to the Lord. If any music then, if it, if it infringes upon my heart's ability to make a song to the Lord, I should back up and say, Whoo, wow, is, is this... Is this something that morally speaking, I I should take a second look at? Because music has power to communicate, we should ask, what is music morally telling me to do? Did God create you to enjoy certain aspects of life? Yeah, in fact, he, he reiterates that throughout. He told Adam and Eve, he says, hey, listen, I've created a garden for you, go enjoy. Have fun, literally, just go enjoy, okay? At other places, he says, in a sense, eat the fat, drink the sweet. In other words, hey, enjoy those things that I've presented for you. Is there a place in the life of a believer for just, I don't know, just this, this sense of joy? Like, I'm, I'm not pausing to say, okay, I have to, sing, I have to sing this song to the Lord. Do you know, part of, of representing the Lord well is just the sense of joy. So can't can't some music just be like this exuberant celebratory opportunity to enjoy the means by which God has allowed us to 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 enjoy his creation and part of that is how he's created us sometimes people I think mistakenly say that if it can't be sung in church it should never be sung at all and I don't believe that's consistent with the Bible When we start to think through this, okay, music communicates, music's moral, go a little bit further, therefore, some music is also preferential. Preferential. I've touched on that slightly already with something like Gregorian chant, but we must acknowledge and understand the preferential aspect of music. We often conclude in churches that the way we do music, because um, repetition often promotes preference, is the standard by which church music should be judged. And when I use the word we, I'm not speaking specifically of campus church, I'm, I'm talking about churches. We have a lot of churches represented here. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you grew up thinking that the way your church did music was the way every church was supposed to do music? And then you went to another church and that church didn't do music the same way you did music and you concluded quickly that their music must be wrong. You know, I mean, this is a, this is a tired illustration but it just comes to mind. I mean, I mean, how many of you remember when you went to, I remember going across the street to my friend Milo Warren's house because they invited me over for dinner and, um, and they had hamburgers for dinner and I can remember that his mom fixed hamburgers differently than my mom fixed hamburgers. And clearly his mom needed help, okay? <laughs> Why? Because, because repetition had instructed and informed my preferences. You, you and I ought to be very careful when concluding that, well, that's the way my church does it, so that's the right way to do music. You know, we've asked this question before and, and, and answered it. I mean, how many, of you, how many of you in this room right now, how many of you in this room are from another country? You're not from the United States, raise your hands. Another country, raise them high, because I'd like to see. Okay, there's a, there's a large group of people, a lot of people from other countries. You can put your hands down. Okay, so, So I've worshiped with believers in in lots of other countries. I can remember worshiping, this was interesting because there was a large group of of men from India that were working at a a specific location in Singapore. So that morning I worshiped with people from Singapore and that evening I I preached at a church that was entirely made up of men that were, were migrant workers in Singapore but worshiping together at a, an Indian church. And, and we, we shared communion that evening. And as, we, as the, the cup was passed, it was a, a single cup. And we're all drinking out of the same cup. I took a little... Mm. <laughs> and man, did those guys sing, just men. And I'm telling you, and they had, um, they had a guy playing on a keyboard, and was it loud... Man, I'm sitting there, I came out and you know, my eyes were like this, my hair's back and it was like, whoa, that was, that was loud, okay. Did, did they worship the Lord? According to my preference, I've, I've worshiped in multiple, multiple places um, in the, on the continent of Africa and met beautiful I mean this with the utmost respect, lovely people whose music was so culturally appropriate and unique to to them. And and there was some understanding of the preference in music. Um, Our history matters with what we prefer and sometimes even with what we tolerate. There was a couple he's he's in heaven now and and she is um, well up in years. My wife will know this couple and maybe a few others in here, but their their names' Bill and Ruth Cooper. He's, he was a, a retired minister that they came, began coming to our church and he, he ministered in Haiti for years and just a sweet couple. And we, we were singing a song in church on a Sunday morning. Have you ever had someone come up to you and you could tell that they were bothered by the way they're coming up to you? And this couple, I mean, I just, I love this couple. And Ruth was coming up to me and um, she was, you could tell she was bothered. Can I ask you a question? You know, and uh, yeah, absolutely. Why did we sing that song in church today? And she was bothered. You could tell, you know, sometimes a person's so bothered that their breathing is different. And, and this is a dear lady whom, whom we deeply love, but she was clearly bothered. Why did we sing that song in church today? And they're like, well, what song? And here's the song, Glorious Things of Thee Are Spoken. And she was, she was bothered she said, do you, you know about that song? I said, I, you know, you're going to have to tell me. Well, that song, the, 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 the tune, was the national anthem for the Germans. Well, I, I didn't know that, of course. but, I mean, that song, when I hear that song, you don't know the things that come to my mind. Well, the words were written by, by John, John Newton. You know, you, you start to think about, like, whoa, glorious things of thee are spoken. John Newton wrote the words. Amazing grace, how sweet this sound. Well, Ruth and her sister, um, their, 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 their story about how they came through World War II, remarkable. Ruth and her sister, they're just little girls, and they, they were separated from their parents. She wrote a book that details some of their experiences that's just remarkable. I mean, she, she survived bombings, and, and these are two little girls that are weaving their way through war-torn Europe, because the, the Germans had, 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 you know, so advanced the, their cause in World War II, and so when she hears the song, Glorious Things of Thee Are Spoken, her response to that is very deep, and I, I you know, man, we had good conversation about it, and I said, Ruth, let me, let me look into this, let me get back with you. And so I got back with her and Ruth, you know that, that, that tune, I know it means something to you, but let me tell you, when we sing it here, it, it means nothing about the, the German national anthem. It just means glorious things of thee are spoken. And you know, Ruth, with a lot of grace, we, after we talked about it, with a lot of grace, Ruth was okay with us singing Glorious Things of Thee Are Spoken. But you know, it wouldn't surprise me, I don't know this, but it wouldn't surprise me if when we sang that song, Ruth would just stand there but not participate. And that's okay. Do you know what she was offering? She was offering something of grace connected to her preference in music. You know, it, it, it is something when we try to impose our own histories into the lives and, and preferences of others. There are some bad reasons for determining what is good music. It's not a good reason. This is not a legitimate reason. Well, it's old, so it must be okay. You know, sometimes, quite honestly, more historic, I'm putting myself in this group, sometimes more historic believers we, we get some years under us, and like, man, I grew up singing that song. At times, we, we have made conclusions that because it's old, it must be good. There are well-loved hymns in our hymn book that are, that are written that are old, but age themselves do not make them good. There, there are hymns in our hymn book that are written by Catholics, that our hymns in our hymn book that are written by by those that actually changed their own doctrine through the course of years. I'm not gonna mention the hymns because then you'd be like, oh, we, we can't ever sing. Well, yeah, we can, but just because these are old does not automatically make them wonderful songs. And it's not a good means by which we're determining music just because it's old or, well, I like it. There are a lot of things that I like or that I have some inclination toward that don't make it good. Again, this may not be the most compelling reason to determine the worth of something. It can can certainly and should be a consideration. I like it. Okay, well consider that, but don't make it your final determination. Okay, so what are some good questions for measuring musical choices? Let me mention a few. Number one, music in the church is less about my preferences and more about my love. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, or if you wanted to insert, though I sing with the tongue of men and of angels and have not charity or love, I'm become as a sounding brass or tinkling cymbal. I'm a lot of clanging noise. When music is all about me, I can never truly find a place where I can fully embrace worship through song I'd need to be the one that selects all the hymns, specials, instruments, choral arrangements. Galatians 5.13, for brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. You can have some liberty in your musical selections, but love seeks to serve rather than to be served. I I have more notes and I'm continuing to go into debt on time. So let's pause tonight and let's pick this up, um, Lord willing, next Sunday night and continue to discuss or ask the question about music, does it really matter?